good to be together here this morning. Uh, I couldn't help but take note, and uh, not that we need to dwell on it endlessly, but I couldn't help but take note that on a Sunday like today, typically uh, Rudy would be one of the guys standing behind uh, me here together with the, the quartet and singing, and I'm sure he would love to have done nothing more this morning uh, than to have been up there rather than where he is. With some of the challenges that uh, Pearl and I have gone through over time, trying to figure out how to do life with some um, challenging family situations, we have on a few occasions gone to see a counselor to try and sort out uh, how to approach some of that stuff. And there have been some very helpful things that counselors have said along the way, some little nuggets that we have picked up on and, and that we have come back to time and time again. Uh, one of which goes something like this. Control only that which is yours to control. Uh, maybe right off the cuff, that doesn't do very much for you, but as you think about it and as you remind yourself of that over and over when you are in uh, difficult circumstances and when you wonder how you should approach certain situations and certain relationships and, and, uh, and things... It, I have been amazed how often this little um, reminder, uh, question, Pearl and I have thrown that at each other many, many different times, not in a mean way, but as we're discussing or thinking or contemplating and wondering and grappling and struggling, um, we, we'll ask each other this question, okay, so what is really ours to control here? And what is not ours to control? Many times the asking of that question has really kind of helped to, uh, us to sort things out. And I've actually come to believe that it's actually a pretty key kind of a, a life principle. Learning to try and understand what is yours to control and what is not yours to control. Much frustration and stress in life comes from trying to control things that are actually not yours to control. Keep that in the back of your minds. We'll come back to that. Some of you have taken note already of the fact that we have spent several Sunday mornings this summer uh, speaking about or kind of uh, pulling apart and, and looking at the truths in some of the very short little books of the New Testament. Uh, Jesse did a good job of exploring three of those one-chapter books uh, during the month of July. And then last Sunday, I jumped into this book of Jude and, uh, and I began this little journey through the book of Jude. Thank you so much. Many of you have affirmed me very much for some of the things that I said uh, last week. Uh, it was a very, very unique week, actually, preparation-wise. I've told some of you this already last week, where uh, on Wednesday, when typically Jesse and Mike and I get together for a little bit of debrief and a little bit of prayer time, um, I told Jesse and Mike that uh, I'm giving up on the book of Jude. I'm not going there. I can't find anything. It's not coming to me. And so I'm, I'm going somewhere else. And, uh, and then we talked a little more and we talked about a few other things. And then we prayed together. And then I went to my office and I read through the book of Jude two more times. It's just a one-page book. And so that's not very extreme, reading through it two times. And all of a sudden, boom, it was there. And it just came up off the pages. And and it was, uh, and so the message happened that we had last week, and now, of course, this week we want to finish uh, the, little, the little book of Jude. I want to talk a little bit more about the last several verses in, in, this, in this little one-chapter book. Uh, we took note last Sunday that as Jude begins to write, his intention is 
to kind of write um, a, a book that is going to be a nice, or a letter, it's called a letter back in his day, he was writing a letter, so he's going to write a letter that was going to be a, kind of a nice, inspirational, pick-me-up kind of a letter. He was going to write a letter that was going to talk about the joy of, of, and the freedom and the peace of having your sins forgiven and being in a relationship with Jesus and, and all of that. It, it was going to be very nice and, 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 and very uh, uplifting kind of just encouragement and the joy of salvation. And then as he begins to write, he suddenly feels God really, really pulling him in another direction. And we began to look at what that direction was, and it was a challenge. Jude felt compelled to write a strong challenge to the people that he was writing this letter. And I used the words over and over last week. Um, the challenge from Jude was to contend for the faith. And I used that phrase over and over, and some of you were tired of it by the end of the message, I'm sure. I hope, though, that it has helped to bring that up in your minds over and over during the course of the week. And I hope that there have been uh, some questions floating around in your minds. What does it mean for me in my world... In my situation where God has put me, what does it mean to contend for the faith? What are, what are the, uh, what is some of the opposition that is out there for me that I need to contend for the faith against? And I hope that some of that at least, there have been some um, um, light bulbs that have been switched on for you as you've been contemplating and thinking about that. Those of you that weren't here, I want to encourage you to go to our website and listen to the podcast. It was not uploaded last week because our techies were both up at camp uh, last week, uh, the ones uh, Jesse and Mike, and so early this week, uh, that message is going to be uploaded, the Contend for Your Faith one from last week and also the one that we preach here this morning. Uh, they should be up there early in the week. So today we want to pick up from verse 20 in this little book of Jude, and we want to look at the first or the last few verses and then also very briefly touch on the first two verses that we skipped over last week because they tie together pretty good. So the book of Jude, uh, starting with verse 20, let me just finish reading that and then we're going to make some observations. But you, dear friends, uh, that word but is, is kind of an indication that he's changing, uh, kind of changing directions. He's given this strong challenge to contend for the faith. And then, and then now he uses the word but, which is kind of a transitionary word. So he's, he's moving from this strong challenge, contend for the faith. Uh, he's, he's changing directions a little bit, and he wants to remind us of another aspect or another perspective. And so he says, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. And then this little ending part that I've read sometimes as we close our services here. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. There's a bunch of really, really good stuff in there, some of which we don't totally understand, some of which we do. By the way, um, I have come to a point where I worry a lot less about the stuff in the Bible that I don't understand. Uh, I read somebody, uh, somebody who said, 
um, and encouraged or challenged and said this, don't worry so much about that which you don't understand as about the stuff that you do understand. Concern yourself with being obedient to that which you do understand and you will already find yourself fully occupied. I think there's quite a bit of truth in that. And so, for me, where I come from, I, I don't spend as much time as I used to contemplating, grappling with, struggling with the stuff that I don't understand. I still do, but not, but not as much. So there's some stuff there that we don't fully understand, and, and I admit that. Um, the thing that I want to, or, or what I want to highlight for us this morning, is when I read this little section, um, I see or I pull out, uh, for me, it came off the page, uh, there were kind of three kind of main activities. Uh, we're going to call them activities, the actions today uh, in this little section that I want to highlight for us. And of course, again, I hope that each of those are going to be applicable uh, to all of us or, or, or at least to most of us. The first activity that Jude highlights here in my mind is this little word or this little phrase, build yourselves up. Build yourselves up. And he adds the words, in your most holy faith. Maybe you're wondering, so how exactly would this be different, this concept of building yourself up? How exactly would that be different from what we talked about last week, which was contending for the faith? What would kind of be the difference between building yourself up and this thing that we talked about last week of contending for your faith? The faith, your own faith, the faith of your children, the faith of your community, the faith of your church. How is that Different. That question popped into my mind immediately when I read this. So, uh, he, because he's clearly changing directions. He's been talking about contending for the faith, and then he says, but you build yourself up in your most holy faith. So here's how I see it. Of course, totally open to having you add your thoughts also. One of the main aspects of contending for the faith that we looked about last week was identifying and overcoming the opposition. Now let's be honest, let's admit, let's believe that there will be active opposition to you in your faith journey here on this earth. It, it's going to happen. Now that active opposition is going to come from people, it's going to come from circumstances, it's going to be a spiritual thing where the devil is going to be actively putting things in your way to try to drag you down in your faith journey. And so there's going to be opposition Contending for the faith, much of contending for the faith is about identifying and understanding and coming to a, a kind of a strategy about how you are going to overcome the opposition that is going to be thrown into your way. Building yourself up in the faith, I'm going to say, is about good, healthy construction. It's about moving forward, becoming more, becoming stronger, more solid. If we're going to continue to use the sports metaphor that we used last week quite a bit about contending or being a cup contender, if we're going to continue to use that metaphor a little bit, then if contending for the faith is about the game where you're working or struggling against the opposition, trying to overcome the opposition, contending for the faith is about the game, then I'm going to say that building yourself up is about the practice. It's about the time that you're going to spend practicing and getting ready for the game. Building yourself up in the faith is about time in the weight room. It's about time on the exercise bike, time in the video room studying, 
It's time with your sports psychologist. It's time running plays with your teammates on the practice field, hour after hour after hour, working hard to become all that you can become, building yourself up in your faith so that when the opposition comes, you're ready to contend for the faith. I love seeing a building in progress. Dwayne and Arlene, you, uh, you're building a house this year. Uh, building a house can sometimes be stressful. But at the same time, it can actually also be very rewarding if you can step back a little bit and you can actually observe and see the progress. We started with a hole in the ground. There was nothing. And all of a sudden, this house has emerged. And now we've got a building. And, uh, and, and when this building is going to be even a little more complete, it's a building that we actually want to move into and live in and spend much of our life in. This is, it's, it's exciting to see a building move from one stage to another to another. The process of building is actually fascinating, and I'm sorry for all of you if you don't really aren't captivated by it. It's, it's, it's an amazing journey to see something being built. It's amazing when you see that for houses. Uh, it's kind of cool, but then there's this whole other level, and, and again... I'm not sure if these things captivate you or not, but they do me, and so bear with me for just a few minutes. Um, when these huge structures are built, and I look at them, and, I, and I'm just amazed, overwhelmed, stunned. A couple of years ago, our MDS trip from Rosenort, the team that went, we went to Washington State uh, to do some work on rebuilding after wildfires, and about an hour before our destination, we, we uh, stopped at the Grand Coulee a hydroelectric dam, the picture that you see up on the screen right now. The magnitude of a structure like that, it just, now you can see if you look kind of in the bottom, in the middle, you can see a couple of vehicles parked down there and they're just tiny little specks and then you see the magnitude of this dam over 300 feet high and, and, and uh, concrete and over a kilometer long and it's just a concrete wall and I think about this and it just amazes me how something like that could be built. And then to think of the fact that actually construction on this dam began in 1933. It's the seventh largest megawatt producing hydroelectric dam in the world. All other uh, uh, dams that were built uh, or that are on the top 10 list were built in 1970 or later. This one was built in, in the 30s. In the dirty 30s, the U.S. government actually came up with the idea. This project, along with several other projects, huge uh, mega projects, uh, in order for the, for the purpose of trying to employ people who were unemployed in the dirty 30s. And this was one of those projects. And I wonder, who in the world was the person that came up with this idea back in the 30s? Who thought that this was possible? Who was the engineer that, that said, yes, I think we can do that? And then you know what I wonder even more? Who was the first workman that was lowered way down, kind of into that hole, and dragged out a jackhammer and began jackhammering away on the rocks down there trying to drill holes for the footing and the foundation to somehow be cemented down there. This, and I just, and this, pro this, this process of building something, it just astounds me. 
it amazes me when it comes to these kinds of huge, huge projects. What are we talking about? Building your faith. Now let me be very clear. Building your faith is not an overnight project. We're not talking about something that you're going to decide, hey, you know what? I, I think I should build my faith. And, and by tomorrow, we can probably have a grand opening. We can have a ribbon cutting. We're all done. Building your faith is not like that. It's a long-term project. There will even be some mistakes made along the way. Some pillars may have to be deconstructed and reconstructed. I remember Clarence and Marlene's son, Nathan, used to be part of our church family, lives in the city now. He spent one summer working for his uncle's construction business in B.C., and I remember talking to him at one point, and I think they were building a car park, if I'm correct, at that point. And I, I remember talking to him and asking him, so what, like, what are you doing right now? What's, and he said, well, the last two days I've spent jackhammering away a pillar that we cemented at the wrong place. Uh, that's going to happen in your faith journey when you're going to be building your faith. There will be times when you will have to get out the jackhammer and you will have to jackhammer away a pillar that you thought you were putting at the right place and now you found out actually that pillar needs to be moved over a little bit. And you'll have to deconstruct and then you'll have to start construction over again on that pillar. In the words of Jude, keep building your most holy faith. That is your job. Control what is yours to control. It is your job to build your faith. I kind of mentioned it last Sunday also, but we tend to not want to spend time building. We just want to cruise through life. And then we come up against opposition and we don't understand why we struggle so much with contending. Why can't we figure out or why we can't figure out why God keeps on letting us down? Why doesn't he give me the strength that I need to overcome this? Could it be? Often it is simply because we were too lazy to do the building when we had the chance. We don't want to spend time in the weight room. We don't want to waste time watching game film of our opposition. We don't want to waste time doing cardio. We just want to go and play the game and automatically come out on top. Wouldn't that be grand? Jude says, you better focus some time and attention on building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now let me remind you, this building happens... When in the big picture, you're not contending against the opposition. It's one of the reasons why I like to spend a little time in the morning praying and reading the Bible before I get going too far into the day. I need to build myself up if I'm going to be able to contend for the faith. I like this little prayer. Some of you have probably seen it before. You can put it up on the overhead. So far today, God... Can you flip over to the next uh, slide there for us, Jaden? Thank you. So far today, God, I have done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. And from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Spend a little time building in the morning. And then in the big picture, spend time building when the opposition isn't fiercely in your faith. Building happens when you take time to read the Bible and pray and listen. He mentions that here. Praying in the Spirit. 
It happens when you're listening to podcasts as you drive or when you go to YWAM or you go to Bible school. It happens when you come to church and Sunday school. It happens when you push yourself to teach Sunday school. It happens in small groups. It happens when you read and when you listen. It happens when you fellowship with others who are part of the family of God and the body of Christ. It happens in many different ways. Build yourself up so that you can face the opposition in the real world, so that you can contend for your faith. We need to keep moving here. The second activity that he talks about is keep yourselves in God's love. It's another one of your jobs, something that you're supposed to do, something that's yours to control. As you wait for the moment when you walk into heaven, in the meantime, while you're here on earth, while you're doing real life here, while you're interacting with people here on earth, here's what's essential. Keep yourself in God's love. Immerse yourself in understanding God's love for you. There's something about getting it that you are deeply loved by God that brings peace and hope and perspective in life. There is something about knowing that God loves you it's probably the greatest truth that you can teach your children. I've told you this before, but my theology professor in Bible school, one of the most brilliant minds that I've ever had the chance to truly get to know, a respected theologian across North America, committed to studying scripture and working tirelessly to get all the details figured out. He unashamedly said to us as a class, the single most amazing truth in all of scripture is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Keep yourself in God's love. I hope many of you, actually I hope all of you, are working at memorizing Colossians chapter 3, 11 to 17. I really want to throw it out there again, this challenge that we've been giving you over and over during the course of the summer. Colossians 3, 11 to 17. Um, in the middle there it says, Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and Dearly loved. From there we can move on. But we need to first get that. We need to understand that we are dearly loved by God. It changes everything. From there we move on to clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. And forgiving whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on. There it is again. Love. We need to be dressed in God's love. As you think about connecting with people, those who doubt, he mentions those here. I kind of like it that he gives us a couple of different categories of people that we're going to be connecting with while we're moving about here on earth. Uh, have mercy on those who doubt. I like that. Almost all of us have at one point or another been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. And I, I, don't, I don't for a minute throw stones because I understand and I hear you. And many times I wonder the same questions that you're wondering merciful to those who doubt. I like that. And then he goes on and he categorizes or kind of gives us a few other groups of people. Those who are sinning intentionally. Those who are turning their backs on God. Be careful always as you interact with these people. Be careful to keep yourself in God's love. It's essential in order for you to approach others with a correct perspective. Your job is build yourself up in the faith and keep yourself in God's love. And then there's a third activity. But this one is God's responsibility. 
And you might be saying, well then, if it's God's responsibility, then why do we need to be reminded of it? Well, he has just finished throwing out a pretty serious challenge. Actually, several pretty serious challenges. Contending for the faith, building yourself up, keep yourself in God's love. These are your responsibility. These are yours to control. And so we have a tendency to keep on going and saying, well then, I'll take care of all of it. And that's where he stops and he says, no, 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 oh, 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 stop. This next one is God's responsibility. This is not yours to control. Remember, God will keep you and God will present you. You see it here in these last two verses. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you. You also see it in the first two verses, back right at the beginning of the chapter, or right at the beginning of the book. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. God does the keeping. You work hard to build yourself up. You continuously remind yourself of the truth of God's love. You immerse yourself in God's love over and over and over. You contend for the faith, but God keeps you from falling, and God does the presenting. And you go, well, really? I mean, shouldn't I be able to do something also? Shouldn't I convince God that I am presentable? Shouldn't I be responsible to keep myself from falling? Isn't it up to me? Let me do it so that I'm sure it's covered. I visited with someone a while ago, not from our church family. This person was feeling really down. She had lost her husband a few months earlier. And although she walked with God all of her life, she now felt like she was floundering. And she said, I'm not walking with God the way I should. I'm struggling in my faith. I'm hurting. I don't want to be questioning God the way I am. And I asked her, do you believe in the grace of God? Well, and she said, yes, yes, of course. I said, then do you also believe that even now the grace of God has got you covered? What do you mean? Well, I'm just saying that I believe it is exactly at times when we can't hang on ourselves that God is hanging on to us. I'm not talking about eternal security. That's another one that I don't know exactly what I believe in. But I believe that the grace of God is hanging on to me when I am not sure that I am hanging on very well to him. And that's what I believe these verses are saying. It's God's job to keep hanging on when we're not sure that we're doing a very good job of hanging on to him. I like the second half of this activity here also. God's activity, not ours. It says, Jesus will also present you to the Father. We were at Foklarama this last uh, week, one evening. Great time. We went to the Argentina Pavilion. Any others here? Foklarama this last week? Oh, I feel cultured. <laughs> Had a good time. Very good time. Um, one of the things that, uh, that happened over and over, so each pavilion has a host, and this host comes out on stage from time to time, not even necessarily always comes out on stage, but they, they over and over, this host says, um, and I present to you, and then they mention the next performer or the next act that's going to happen. Uh, but they always, it's always somebody else 
that does the presenting. And you've been to concerts and you've been different to different events and you know you've heard this also. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we present to you. And then we make, the, or somebody makes the, the presentation. They present someone. There's something about having someone else present you. I'm not sure if you've thought of this before, but that's actually the terminology that's being used here. Jesus is going to be the one. He's going to keep you from falling, and he's going to be the one to present you. Can you see it? Jesus steps forward, and he says to God the Father, I present to you Barb Brandt, another lowly sinner. She didn't do a lot for you, but I think maybe you can let her slip in by the skin of her teeth. No, 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 no. What does it say here? Read it. Maybe I should say, believe it. Jesus will do the presenting, and he will present you, get this people, he will present you before his glorious presence. That's enough to make anyone run in shame and try and hide. But no, Jesus will present you before this amazing, almighty God. Now get this. Without fault and with great joy. This is a presentation that will be celebrated. Jesus will present you. Here is. And there will be applause. And there will be great joy. And there will be celebration. Because you will be presented as someone that is without fault. This is scripture. Believe it. This is truth. Jesus will do the presenting. You don't have to do the presenting yourself. In fact... Probably wouldn't have a whole lot of meaning if you did. Let Jesus do what's his job. Control what's yours to control and let somebody else control what's theirs to control. Jesus will do the presenting and he's going to present you before his glorious presence, his father's glorious presence, without fault and with great joy. That's what it says. Believe it. Before the one who is who was, who is, and forever will be, the one who has all dominion and power and authority. This is Jesus' job. He will present you without fault and with great joy. So, time's up. You contend for the faith. We talked about that last week. You build yourself up in your faith. You keep yourself in his amazing love. And then... Let Jesus keep you from falling and let him do the presenting. That's his job. Amen.